We're live. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Off the Air with the Big Fella. It's my Monday one-on-one conversation, and um, I'm excited. We're going to wait till we get some, some more viewers to start popping up here because they look forward to it. How you doing today, big man? How you doing? Huh? How you doing? I'm doing good. How's your day going, man? Well, it's going good, man. Kind of boring. I just played golf. It's the only thing I did for the day. Hey, you know, before we get in that conversation, you know I'm going to have to play golf with you. Oh, yeah. Oh, I heard that you're not a very good golfer. <laughs> well, I mean, I just heard that in the rumors, you know, the rumor mill. That's sources of everything, DJ. I, I wouldn't be going live with no bad sources like that about you. I'm just telling you, I just heard that your golf game is horrendous. Really? What? And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm being I'm kind. No, I'm no Charles Barkley, I'll give you that. <laughs> right. Well, I need you to stay closer to your, your mic, and when you move back, people can't um, hardly hear you. Um, okay. uh, my man is uh, uh, Sergeant Ogilvy. He just retired from the St. Louis Police Department, and uh, he was on what, 100 years? 30 years. About 100 years. Talk about, man, really, before we get into a deep conversation, let everybody know who you are, man. Uh, well, I'm just I'm just a man from St. Louis City, man. I've, I've served on the police department for 30 years. The reason why I got on is because I didn't like the way the treat, police treated me when I was a kid. So when I came back from the service, I came back to St. Louis, I joined the police department to try to change things. And uh, you, you talk about trying to change things. What do you mean by that? I mean, well, I've, it's always been my opinion that if you're going to change anything, you, you only can affect it from the inside. You know, outside, you can't really make the change that needs to be done. Um, <laughs> I hear you, you know, because we're going we're gonna to really get into that whole dynamic about everything. And uh, you, got a, you got a nice little uh, hello to you, my man, Drew Ali. Oh, yeah, Drew. Yeah, Drew. You <laughs> said hello to you. Boy, right there, man. That's, that's one hell of an officer, right there, man. Yeah, Drew. Drew Ali is a great officer. Hey, hey, Drew. I want you to listen to this conversation. We're going to have a candid conversation about what's going on in this community, and uh, I want you to, you know, uh, really understand that we we're going to bring it today. I mean, this is what it's all about. You know, we do this uh, to have a conversation and um, get everybody talking. Uh-huh. You know, so let, let, let's move on. You just retired. Yes. You, you just retired this past weekend, oh, Friday, this past Friday. <laughs> Talk uh, about that. Oh, no, man. It, it, it was, uh, it's been an experience, man. But, you know, I, I hate leaving, leaving the guys out there in the field, but uh, I don't hate leaving the job. You know, it's, it's kind of a catch-22. It's the hardest thing, hardest thing in the world to be, I, I believe, is, is a black police officer right now. You know, because you're so conflicted in your job, you want you want to do the best you can for your community, but your job's not really giving you that opportunity to do that. You know, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people think that that incarceration is the, is the fix for everything, and that's that's not true. You know, it, it, if our people had jobs, they had a way to feed themselves, you wouldn't see the crimes you see today. But it's hard to get them that that uh. Because they're not they're not getting it in school. They're not getting any any um any way to feed themselves from school. Now they can't go to college, most of them. So now they're just stuck out on the street. But this, like I said, this is by design. This is how the, the system was developed, you know, to get us prepared for for penitentiary. So so let's let's talk. Let's get let's get right back down. Let's get down to business then. Okay. Since you you went there quick. Oh, you I'm know, going. You, yeah, you, we, we didn't even we didn't even slow dance. Right. You, know, <laughs> you just went for the juggler quick. Sorry, uh, well, let's go there because uh-huh. with, with the tension in in in, in the in, in the country with uh-huh. police officers, mm-hmm. and I know you pro police, no question about it, because you wouldn't have been mm-hmm. one for thirty years. Yes, sir. But you just saw a young man get shot in the back seven times in Wisconsin. Yes, sir. He had a I, domestic I, argument. Hold on, hold on. Domestic yeah. argument with his girlfriend. Okay. She called the police. Mm-hmm. He say, hell with that. I'm walking. I'm getting in my car. They tell him to hold, hold, grab his shirt, shoot the guy seven times in the freaking back. How is it that police officers and people would think that we could trust police officers 
when we are seeing it bluntly. And, and what's crazy about this, the George Floyd situation just happened. Right. The, 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 the Aubrey situation happened. And mm-hmm. guess what? Nothing has changed. You just saw well, it. What? It's like it don't matter. Well, DJ, where the change in the hands is not in the community, it's, it's the police themselves. You know, for, first off, if they don't have to have any accountability, they're not, they're not going to police fairly in our neighborhoods. That's just the bottom line. There has to be some accountability. And if they thought they were going to jail, believe me, he wouldn't have been firing them shot. You know what I'm saying? Most well, times. But, but you say accountability. But I'm a police saying, officer, hold on, hold on. A police officer, you guys are trained mentally, psychologically to protect the integrity or the interests of that police officer. So when you say that, I don't I have to disagree with you because it's too many police officers are, are, are allowing things to happen on a watch with their partners and don't say anything. So y'all want to talk about gang members? <laughs> What's different from a police officer and a gang member? Tell me. Police, uh, the police officers are the, the biggest gang I in the city. I said all police officers. So. I mean, but I'm, no, but, the, but yeah, think about it. The police department is like the biggest gang in the city. But how they police, when, when they police fairly, the streets will police, will police their own fairly. But when they don't, this is the chaos you're going to see. There's no justice. But, how? but you still ain't talking. You're not, you're not telling me. You're, you, you just retired from the St. Louis Police Department. Uh-huh. You still have not told me how police officers who's on the force are not holding other police officers accountable, particularly when you know the dirty police officer. Let me let me let me let me get you this. You know there's a dirty police officer. Everybody mm-hmm. knows it. Uh-huh. Nothing happens. So tell me why would they be feel why would we feel good about a police officer when you know it's a dirty one and y'all haven't did anything? And that's a word through the whole station. Well, see, that, that's the whole thing. Man. A, a dirty police officer would never do anything in front of somebody who he knows would hold him accountable. It's oh, not, it's not it. No, quit it. DJ, it's the truth. Quit it, man. Hey, listen, I, you know what? There, there was, I worked, I worked in a division where, you know, where, you know, the officers, the officers would not do any of their, like, search warrants or anything while I was at work. Because I knew I, I knew I was gonna roll with just anything that was going that was being said on paper. If I saw something that was wrong in the police report, I went right to the policeman and say, "Hey, man, this is not this is not correct." You know, oh, well, it looks better. Well, no, I don't care how it looks, man. If I get on that stand, I'm telling them what happened. They gotta change the police report. They don't have so a choice. Get, but but see, I have to disagree with you. Let yeah. me ask you this question: You was on the St. Louis Police Department for thirty years. You just years. retired now, as a sergeant. Correct. Uh, yes. Are you telling me in that thirty-year period? Or let's now you don't even go back thirty. I'm gonna go back last year. Mm-hmm. Prior or, or this year, prior to you, prior to you retiring. Mm-hmm. Or are you telling me there's you didn't never hear about a dirty police officer within the ranks right now? Oh, you hear about it? Okay. 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 okay good. Hold on. So you know about it? If you sure. hear the grumblings, you I know hear. about it. I hear the grumblers all the time, yes. But nobody did anything. I can't control that part, DJ, but everybody knows. Hold on, time out. I think that's unfair for you to say you can't. What, what am I supposed to do? Go, go and report it. And then what evidence do I have? From whom? You, you, the rumors are the rumors, right? <laughs> rumors are not evidence, DJ. But, but okay. But you know that a police officer is dirty. You know it. And if you, 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 you got, okay. So you're telling me if everybody in the police department that you work with, St. Louis Police Department, that you just retired from, yes, no one guy, let's say Sammy Jones, Sam, Sammy Little or whatever, was dirty. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows he's dirty. Okay, but how? It's just amazing. Okay, you want proof that the guy is dirty when the whole station knows he's dirty? Hey, DJ, that's, hey, that's a, that is a that is a compound. How is that a cop out? We going to go put the cuffs on the guy, take him to jail, and book him for what? If everyone's saying this guy's dirty, that means somebody knows he's actually doing these things. And who's going to come out? And who's going to come forward and say, this is what I saw him do? So how do y'all want people in the community to go out there and say, hey, hey, I saw a guy shoot somebody. I saw a guy commit this. When you guys are doing, hold on, oh, you're whoa. practicing the same practice. No, no DJ. You are. 
If I, if I didn't see if I didn't see him commit a crime, I can't charge him with one. That's the whole point. If I saw him commit a crime, it'd be a whole different story. But there are police officers that know you heard you heard about legendary uh, police officers who've done that uh, dirty things for years. I've, I've heard. Of yes, you I know have. that. You, you heard they become they become a legend in the police department. But uh -huh. but you hear people talk about why is it that the kids on the street don't talk? Why don't they tell? Why don't the, the police officers are doing the same thing? Well, DJ, here's here's the thing. If somebody, as even as a police officer, if somebody commits a crime, and even if he is a police officer, he commits a crime in front of you, you have the you have the obligation to come forward and, and give that information. Okay? That makes them who you are. That's why that's why those in the George Floyd thing, you have all four officers getting charged. Only one of them had his had his uh, knee on his throat. But all three of all four of them were there. You know what I mean? The other three were watching and they did nothing to intervene. That's what I'm talking about. If they if one of them would have stood up and pulled him off, he, he wouldn't be getting convicted right now or getting charged right now, I should say. So, but my question once again, you still ain't answering that. If everybody know you know without evidence on the street, you hear about a drug dealer. Uh -huh. But y'all don't have the evidence. But everybody know he's at, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. They would go and they would harass the guy. They would. They, they would just continue to come after him, come after him, because the rumors. Not that you say you seen anything or you got any evidence on the guy. You continue to go and try to get the guy, but you can't charge him. You have. I'm not saying charging him, but you go and harass. Why have nobody get the police officers to call and make them accountable? That's and my I, problem. And you just on. retired Friday from the same police department. Why don't I go and harass police officers who I who I think are doing well, something? Why don't wrong? you continue to go to the, the high brass and say, "Hey, man, because these, they're not are, these are things." <laughs> oh, but you got to have concrete evidence. You have to. How many how many times they got concrete evidence when when we see black boys getting murdered, the guy gets shot in the back seven times when we see George Floyd? So don't see. No, no, wait a minute. Double standards. No, no, DJ. I don't, I don't know what you expect me to do, man. If I don't have evidence, I can't charge anybody. That's just the bottom line. That's that's on the street or 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 a police officer. It's all the same, you know. That's and I, honestly, there has been like like a in the Stockley case, for example, where I believe you and I argued on that one. I believe there was no way possible that dude was going to be found uh, uh, not guilty because he had DNA evidence on that gun. But in the end, what did what did the judge do? The judge, let me tell you what the judge did at the end. This is what we said. So I want you to understand why our viewers, and I uh -huh. want you to comment on his viewers. I'm speaking with Lieutenant Oglesby. He's just retired from St. Louis Police right. Department. Guys, he, and, and people, folks, he's one of my close friends. So then they always talk about justice is blind. Justice is blind. It's supposed to be, but it ain't. Justice is blind. Justice ain't is always visible on black folks. No doubt. Because no even in the Stockley case, the judge used his personal opinion to make his yeah. final ruling. He Absolutely. said, my personal opinion. And mm -hmm. I got a lot of my white friends want to tell me that um, that that it's, it's no, it's, it's the law. It's the law. No, it's not the law. No, it ain't. You know, his personal opinion was that no urban drug dealer would would be anywhere without a gun. That's that 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 word urban is the dog whistle. You got to pay attention. Urban means black. That's what he's trying to say, which is wrong. And he ignored, he ignored DNA evidence in order in order to say that that he was innocent. So Sergeant Ogilvy, yes, tell me how you guys, police department, want black folks to come forward and 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 tell and talk to the community. Tell me how that happened. When they don't have no protection. Well, hey, listen, like I said, I, my my idea is this: if if they if they really had some some evidence, they could they could show that this is what's happening, or, or you know anything that that's that's tangible. I'd say you'd have to take it outside the police department, take it to the FBI or somebody else to investigate. Because asking the police department to investigate it by themselves, it ain't gonna go anywhere. It'll get railroaded somewhere along the line. That's my opinion. Okay. Okay, I don't know if you saw that, that, that video where a young man gets shot in the back the other day. That's a, that's a clear thing. Right, in Wisconsin, Indeed. with his yeah. kids in a car. That yep. was a domestic dispute. Yes. Two white pulled 
police officer pull a gun on the guy has no threat. He's walking away. They tell him to stop. He said, I'm getting in my car and leave. Got kids in the back. Right? Right. He has his kids in the back. Uh-huh. Guess what happens? They shoot the guy. I heard Shoot that. him in the back with his kids. Dead so wrong. Now you tell me. That's dead wrong. I just want you to tell me and my viewer before we get out of here. I need you to explain to me why is it that you guys think that we're not going to that we're going to be transparent with police officers when we know police officers ain't transparent with us? Y'all want us DJ, to come forward? You can't. DJ, they didn't charge you with those officers. No. They they should be charged right off the top. What what excuse can they have for shooting somebody in the back? They suspended them right now and under okay. investigation. Okay, so it's an investigation. I, I don't know what investigation will show, but it show can't explain how you shoot somebody unarmed in the back. Let me ask mm-hmm. you this question. We speak with a retired police sergeant uh, over who just retired on Friday. Say, look, police department folks, let me ask you this question. Yes. How many times a black police officer has shot unarmed white kids? I'm gonna tell you like this. I'll say I'll say none, because I'm sure we would have heard about it if it happened. You ain't right. never and gonna. But, do Particularly shooting them in the back. But you ain't never going to see a, a, a black police officer shoot anybody who's not armed. And I'll tell you why. They see a, a black officer sees themselves at the end of that gun. And white officers just don't. And I ain't saying all white officers are bad. I'm saying that they don't see the same value in us that they see in themselves. In, in, uh, case in point is this. There was a shooting not long ago in uh, North City. White dude shot the police. They chased him all the way down and caught him. Didn't kill him. Didn't even shoot him. They called him. So I got this is a good one right here uh, from uh, from Washington here. They said, uh, "So how do you deal with it if you're on the scene?" See, that's just it. That's the only the only opportunity that you have to hold somebody accountable. Now, if, you, if, you're, if I'm on the scene, now I can't. If I have to be able to prove whatever I'm saying, and then right. you, it's left up to whoever investigating the, the uh, case from that point forward. But they're not going right. to put me on on the case. Now, I'll right. tell you this. If you look, you look right now at, at police shootings in the city of St. Louis, they've gone down tremendously. And, and I'll tell you why. Because the circuit attorney is holding them accountable on these on these questionable cases. They're holding them accountable. So you so see something. I hear you. So if that's the case, why is all these want to bring the feds and everybody in here and strip Kim Gardner from her powers? Tell me about that. I'll tell you why. It's, it's kind of simple, DJ. It, they don't want to see her with no authority to to uh, to arrest anybody white. Look look at this, plain and simple. The the uh, they charge uh, Kim Gardner charged that those those white people with, with pointing guns. They're flourishing. I told you when you and I talked about that. They're, they're flourishing guns at people walking down the street. How's that not against the law? Okay, now she charges them. Now they're talking about they're going to pardon them if they let him go. But in L.A., the same thing happened with the D.A. And, and her uh, her uh, husband came to the door and all these people on their front porch and threatening them. And he pulls a gun and tells them, get off my porch, I'm going to shoot you. You know what? They charged him. And you don't hear you don't hear uh, Donald Trump and none of them other people coming out for it saying we're going to pardon him because he, he was just protecting his property. It's not happening. It's justice, justice is not blind, D.J. And, and, and for, the, for the record here, Everybody talks about that blue line of size, blue line of size. That sign is that that line is not blue, it's white. Plain and simple. You watch a black officer, every time he steps out of line, he's getting booked and charged. But you'll never see no white officer get charged like that. Every now and then they get something so heinous it gets caught. And yeah, they might get caught up in some stuff, but most times the stuff they do, you never even see it hit the page. Exactly, because they protect white officers. They protect each other. Right. But they don't Huh? All the time. Pretty much, yes. Boy, I tell you, man. Nate, I wish I had more time to talk to you. We're going to have to do this again because I'm about to go to Dr. Adams. I want, I want you on this one because we got a lot of stuff I need to finish talking to you about. You know, we need to keep going. I, I, I agree. And I, I would love to see I would love to see people, you know, protest a little more about that part. You know, we, we've got to be more accountable with, with, with our justice. If justice is not fair and even, it's not justice. Okay. Well, well, I tell you what, Robert Ogilvy, retired yeah. St. Louis Police Department. Uh, my boy, Robert Ogilvy, man, I love you, man, and I want to say you, thank, you. thank you for being my friend. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for the commitment and, and dedication you've given me. 
but I want to thank you so much. Okay. All okay, right. Good. Can All I right, talk to you later. One other thing, DJ. Uh-huh. Can I part with one other thing? Go ahead. We we have got to find a way to give our kids something marketable before they graduate from high school. They have got to have some kind of way to to feed themselves. Vocational training has that got to come back into these high schools, man. That we our kids have got to have something tangible to use by the time they graduate because they can't just go to college like everybody else. Well, you know what? I'm glad you said that because I'm about to bring in right now my man, uh, Dr. Adams, uh, the superintendent. Hey, how you doing, Doc? Hey, man. I want you to, I want you to, this is Sergeant Ogilvy, Dr. Adams, you know him. Sergeant Ogilvy just retired from the St. Louis, um, uh, from St. Louis Police Department. And he wanted to bring, he wanted to bring a statement to you about technology. Go ahead. What were you saying, Oh, Tell Dr. Adams to you. Vocational, vocational learning. Our, our kids, you know, when they graduate from high school, they're stuck in, in North City with no jobs and no prospects. I'm just saying that when I went to high school, I was able to get a vocational trainer. I'm, I'm a welder and a diesel mechanic by trade, but I'm a, I'm a police officer out here. Okay, I was. Now, what I'm saying is that these kids, they need to have something tangible before they graduate from high school. You know, it, it, you can't start in high school. You actually have to start when they're in like middle school or grade school. But by the time they graduate, if they if they had carpentry skills, if they had you know electronics, HVAC, you know any of those any of those vocations that 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 society's begging for right now, if they had any of those skills by the time they graduated high school, they'd have something marketable. They'd be able to feed themselves, and that would cut down on a lot of the crime that's happening right now. Because our biggest problem, in my opinion, now I've been doing doing this job for thirty years. I've been right before I left, I was I was arresting. The grandkids are the people that I used to lock up when I first became a policeman. I want you to think about that. The grandkids, same same family tree, all of them going to, going down the road to the penitentiary. It's not because that's where they want to be. It's because that's where they have to be because they don't have any skill to pay the bills. And that's what they have to have. We have to give them something before they graduate high school. And DJ and I was working with a bunch of these kids who are intelligent. They, they, have, they have peace of mind. They're trying to do the best they can to survive. Yeah. They just don't have... The opportunity, that's all they have to have is an opportunity. If we gave them a skill when they before they graduated high school, they'd have an opportunity to feed themselves, and you wouldn't see the crime like you do right now. Guaranteed. But, 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 but Doc? I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. I think part of what has happened over the last 10 to 20 years is the kinds of things that you and I had when I was in school have been taken out of school. So there are no book ed programs other than and, I, and I'll just go at one school right now. Home ec is no longer there. Mechanical drawing is no longer there. Woodworking is no, no, no longer there on a large level. Everybody focused around this notion of college and career with the idea that our kids were going to go to colleges, which we want them to do, but it's not happening at the level of the numbers we need them to because they can't afford to go to colleges because exactly. it's so expensive. So I don't disagree with you at all. The other piece is I think some of the, uh, and, and DJ and I kind of talked about this as well, we have to get them in some kind of vocab track. It's not enough for them to um, mm-hmm. um, to to, um, to get the skill set in high school, but there has to be an apprenticeship or some place for them to go. And a lot of these apprenticeship pieces are not open for them. Or if they are open, some of them are taking drug tests and they can't pass the drug test. They can't even get past that point. Yeah. Did tell you, we identified 20, 30 kids, and I think yeah. you know, two or three out of it after we identified juniors and seniors over the last three or four years to try to get in. So it's really complicated, but I don't disagree with you. We have to find a marketable skill for them, but we also have to get the businesses and the business community to be willing to reach out and grab kids and support them as they do that. And many of the businesses, and a lot of them do, but a lot of them don't do that. They don't make a commitment to hire 20 or 30 kids if the kids make it through some some uh, program. And so it, it, it is a big issue, and I think the, the biggest challenge, I think, of finding the resources, financial resources, to try to find ways to get kids plugged in at the high school level, but to your point, junior high school level, such that they have the skill set to do what needs to be done. But I don't disagree with that at all. So, oh, I want to appreciate it. Oh, thank you for joining us, and I'll be talking with you later, big man. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it, DJ. Love all you, right. man. Love you too, man. Thank you very much, Doc. Thank you. And congratulations, though. Congratulations. How you doing, man? I'm good. How you doing, DJ? Hey man, I'm doing good. Well, let me thank you for joining us, man, off the air with the Big Fella, man. This is a program we do Monday nights. Um, it's a big decision made that's got to be made about kids going to school and um, how that's going to look, how that's going to feel. 
talk about what's the decision with the St. Louis Public Schools, what you guys going to do in terms of kids going back to school, virtual learning, in class or what? So at this point in time, we made a decision approximately three weeks ago uh, that all of our students, 100% of our student population will be virtual. That means that they will be online with teachers starting on Monday, August the 31st. We're providing all of our high school students with an iPad, a Dell, a Dell laptop, and all of our K-8 students with an uh, iPad. Uh, teachers have been trained and still are going through the training process. We start deploying technology to families on uh, started, some of it started today at school, some of it will start tomorrow. Uh, but right now in all of our schools, that's what we're doing. The other unique thing that we're doing, DJ, that's probably a little bit different than any other district, at least in this region right now, is that we had about 5,000 families that said, hey, I have to put my kids in school. I have to work. Um, I don't want to leave them at home by themselves. My kids are special needs or have an a, a, a English learning um, uh, issue that they need to uh, get supported in. So we call all of those families and the numbers came down to about 2,121 kids that we are gonna open 20 schools across the district to try to get those kids in schools. The numbers won't be any more than 10 to one in the classroom. Um, there'll be no more than 100, 150 in, in the building. And those kids will go through the process of obviously the, the health screening as they come in. We created two different positions right now where we're paying out uh, support staff, and instructional support staff and teacher assistants, additional dollars for them to work in these spaces. So let's say they were making $20 an hour, they're gonna make $24 an hour in these brand new positions to incentivize them to go into these buildings to support these kids. So about 2,100 kids, DJ, are gonna be in 20 buildings as we provide support to them. Also, those kids are gonna be dropped off, picked up on a bus, no more than six blocks from their homes um, on a corner. We're gonna feed them breakfast and lunch, plus they can pick up food for five days. So they could pick up food on Monday that will supply them for five days of food uh, for their families to bring it home to support them. Um, we also, the teachers are still going to be teaching them virtual, but they'll be in our school buildings in a safe, secure environment. Plus, last thing is, our partners like YMCA, um, Big Brothers and Big Sisters, um, Arches, um, Flint Flower, Gene Slay, all of those other entities are coming in that help support partnerships to try to um, provide athletics and other kinds of things for kids when they're in our environment. So. That's what we're doing. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more with my board tomorrow night, but we want to make sure that we're doing our best, DJ, not only to educate kids, but also to support them as they have really challenges around um, uh, what happens in this community with kids when they're left alone. I know one of the things that we, one of the big concerns is um, uh, hygiene and proper, you know, um, uh, hygiene and, and proper equipment at homes and things like that. I talk about how difficult this is going to be, particularly when we're talking about poor kids, underprivileged kids who don't have those type of uh, uh, things at their home. That when they leave that school, they go back in a very difficult position of their home and they can continue to be infected by this, this virus and they come back to school. How, how, how difficult that is going to be to maintain that position of Man, at home life, it might be off the charts. And we got other kids that they're going to be coming in contact with. How difficult that is for you, man? So it is very difficult. One of the things I think that will assist us, DJ, is obviously uh, kids wearing masks, washing their hands, uh, plexiglass as well, staff doing the same thing. No more than 10, no more than uh, 8 to 10 kids in a building and in a classroom separated um, at certain desks such that they're not co-mingling in any way, shape, or form making sure that only one kid goes to the bathroom at the same time. So in our environment, we can control. But to your point, we can't control outside of that. We can't control once, once they go home and come back. But the screenings and the constant hand washing and a constant 100% kids wearing masks, we hope and believe that that will be one of the deterrents to try to not have kids infect other kids. But you're right. It's a real challenge for us. I mean, you're watching what happens with football. You're watching what happens with baseball. Basketball is the only one that has not had any kind of issues. Why? Because they put people in a bubble and they don't they don't they don't commingle with anybody else. They don't let yeah. anybody, not their family, not their dog, cat, nobody. So that's really difficult. So we're gonna try this, DJ. Um, I think and I'm hoping that we will after October 16th be able to go back to regular school environment. 
But the way things look, that might be a longer period of time. And so we just don't know right now. But we're going to try it because we think our kids deserve it and our families deserve it. So we're going to try to support those 2,000 kids. Let's talk about when you talk about supporting. There's been big rumors on, on sports. I mean, um, I had Dr. Eccles on my radio show the other day, and um, he kind of said something that, that was kind of borderline to me. That I, that I didn't, I didn't really appreciate, like or appreciate. He kind of said, "Well, you know, yeah, sports not going to. We may have not to do sports because you know, kids got to figure out something else." Well, that would kind of took me kind of differently, and I and I and I didn't really go at it. And I would tell you why: because sports is the thing to get guys like me off the street. You just saw in Chicago the all the people who are the political. Party in Chicago called a big meeting with the school district and and the part of Parks and Recs and in Chicago to say, hey, we need more money and we need more influence and get these kids off the street. Because what's going to happen, Doc? Sports going to keep these kids off the street. How is it that black educators constantly look at sports as a deterrent for our black kids when the white community? Look at sports as a conduit <laughs> forward. Why is that? I, I think it's uh, how um, African Americans have been treated in this community, uh, and not just this community, but across this country. Um, and the black athlete, athlete, and you know this. I mean, you, you are a black athlete uh, as a way of getting out of poverty. Um, that's the way everybody looks at it. But I played sports as well, and but for sports, I would not be sitting here. There's no if and but somebody in my here. And I wasn't a bad kid, but sports gave me the self-esteem to do what I needed to do. We're not going to have any sports for the fall semester uh, until October 16th. But we're planning to have multiple sports starting in January. And I understand Dr. Echo's point. He was on a call with me as well. And he said, we just have to find other ways to connect kids. And I think really what he was saying is we may not be able to do it in the way that we did it in the schools, but we still have to find other ways to get kids involved. And so what we're going to likely be doing, DJ, is still pay our coaches and our athletic directors to stay in contact with kids, even though we're not playing sports right now, such that they're in their space, they're in their face, they're calling them, that they're putting them in small pots to do some exercises, maybe not play real games, but to do those kinds of things. Because you know and I know, if kids don't have anything they do, they will find something to do, and it will not always be positive. There is no doubt in my mind about it. You know, And so I always say the devil's workshop, um, the idol, I, 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 being idle is a devil workshop, so we have to find things for kids. So I understand Dr. Echo's point, um, but I do understand that we have to find ways to connect kids. So if, if that's the case, Dr. Adams, how is it that St. Charles and all these other folks are going to allow sports? I mean, if it's that big of a deterrent, how is St. Charles, I mean, they have kicked our season off. They are playing. How how do we explain that? Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think this is how the medical professionals would explain it. I don't want to um, speak for them, but I think they look at the cases in the region um, and how the cases are being transmitted. Uh, as you know, the African-American community is being hit much more than any other community right now. You also started this conversation talking about hygiene and safety uh, mm -hmm. from, from an from a, 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 a urban perspective. And so uh, the, the likelihood is that the St. Charles and these other places don't have the same kind of challenges that we have as it relates to that. Because to your point, these kids go back in the same environment. And unless you're doing all of those kinds of things, those redundant things to keep things in place, you are correct, DJ. The state has now said you have a choice. You could play in the fall or you can move your sports to the spring. Half of the districts, and I think there are about 21 districts, half of them said we're going to go to the fall. Half of them said we're going to go to the spring white and black districts, districts that are majority white and majority black. So while St. Charles might be looked at based on their race, there are a number of districts that are doing the same things because they just don't feel comfortable right now taking a chance of doing it because the transmission rate and, 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 and that zip code is higher than it is anywhere else. So I understand the rationale and reason, understand your concern. It makes it look like a race issue, but I think at this point in time, the medical professionals are trying to make recommendations based upon the fact that the transmission rate and other kinds of things are happening differently in different communities. Well, let, let me ask you this question. We, we know hygiene and those things are going to be very pivotal. I mean, I don't care what you do at that school. You can have everything in place, hand sanitizer, mask, everything, 
But when they go home and go into those very difficult environments, it can be a problem. Yes. But my other question is, when you went to some of the St. Louis public schools, uh, particularly in our black areas, some of those 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 um, environments wasn't good. What do you do to reassure that I got to make sure these environments are safe and conducive for our students when in the past, Doc, it's been kind of overlooked that it was not a priority. So if that's not a priority in that school, how can a kid now take it as a priority when they've been there two, three years and never really saw that? And now you're saying, take it serious. How would that work? How did that look? So, so you are, I mean, you, you know, you, you, you're hitting it with a big hammer, DJ. I mean, you are 100% correct. Um, I, and I'll just lay out one of the reasons why we decided to go to virtual is because of the reason you just indicated. I, right now, sitting here today, have over 40 uh, custodial vacancies. 40 custodial vacancies in addition to another 20 who, who went on leave because of uh, um, uh, FMLA. And so having a shortage of custodians who are, I consider essential workers to keep buildings clean and do those kinds of things is also a challenge for us. So this is not just a teacher-student piece. It's also having that support staff to do that, especially in six-day buildings. So when we go back to these 20 buildings, we've not put one custodian there. We're not put two custodians there. We're not put three custodians there. We're not put four custodians there. We have five custodians in that building for less than 100 kids. Why? Because we want to double up and do all of the kinds of things that you're talking about. So we are reassigning some custodians to go in these 20 buildings as we go back right now with five custodians so we can make sure that we're dotting the I's and crossing the T's in these buildings. Now, if we go back to all buildings open, we have a challenge, a real challenge, because we don't have right now an adequate staff. We're hiring like crazy. So if anybody's listening to this and wants a job as a custodian, we'll hire them tomorrow. I mean, that, that's how desperate, uh, how, how bad the need is. But, but, but my question, you, you say that, right? But if you, got a, if you got a criminal record, you can't get a job. So well, I, I think, I think but, we're differently right now. I think we're looking differently at that. It depends okay. on what the crime is. Okay, gotcha. Because because what has happened, Doc? In the past, you're right. No, you're right. You got right. so many folks who get petty crimes on them. Yeah. Full crap. Yep. And I mean, you know my job service program. Yeah. You could have called me. I could have got you workers. You know what I'm saying? See, I, I think what happens in the St. Louis public school is this, or in, in all our urban schools, it's a cookie cutter. You can go to Chicago. You can go to Detroit. You can go to uh, Wisconsin, why is it that all our black schools, are, they look the same? I mean, they almost ran the same in terms of the urban schools in impoverished communities. It's almost like it's a cookie cutter. It's, what is that? Why is it that we can't be different? You may have individual schools in the St. Louis Public School or in Chicago or in Detroit, you know, that may be elite schools. Like you know, your uh, your magnet school, Metro, and those schools, the McKinley's. But when you look at the Vashans, the Sumners, you know, it, it don't seem like. If I'm a parent, what do I do? You know, what I'm saying, yeah. how do I look at that differently? Of the commitment, and I know. Let me say that I know you committed, but as a parent, I'm looking in like, wow, this ain't the same over in Metro as it is at Roosevelt. Metro's off the charts. Roosevelt ain't the same. How, how do you reassure parents, Doc, that you're doing all you can to get to, to the level of, of some level playing field? I think the real challenge is, DJ, and, and I mean, the public may not want to hear it, and either, either you. It's about the tax base, baby. It's all about the tax base. And so if the tax base is not a high or strong tax base to support schools and the way they need to be supported, you're going to get what you're getting in Chicago and in New Jersey and New Orleans and St. Louis. Um, you're going to get it. And you just frame why, why is it the same, DJ? Because the tax base from the urban context is totally different. Where you live or where people who don't live in the city live, the tax base is different. And they throw tons of dollars into supporting public education. That does not happen here. It doesn't happen to the same degree. That's one of the biggest, biggest challenges because the tax base is not a strong tax base. And so at the end of the day, you don't have the funds to do the kinds of things that you want to do 
because you're not getting enough taxes to make it happen. And that's the reality. Uh, East St. Louis, same thing. I mean, the, they're a little bit different in the sense that they only have one high school, so they could throw a lot of money into one high school. But I guarantee you, East St. Louis looks like a, a high school in Chicago, looks like, to your point, Vashon, other than the football coach making sure that his, his program is pristine. But, but it's the tax base, DJ. At the end of the day, that's what it is. Doctor, talk about the difficulties uh, when you're trying to implement new programs, when you're trying to be creative, and you're trying to do the virtual learning, and you got the teachers' unions that comes after you and then mad at you because, oh, you're putting our teachers in a bad position, or you're going to fire the How difficult is that for you to balance that, to, to, to move forward, to try to do the right thing? I, I, I had some time to spend with one of my colleagues from uh, Kansas City on yesterday. He was driving through, coming from Virginia, his daughter got a scholarship, and we were talking about the urban context. He's the superintendent there for the last three or four years, and obviously I've been here for the last 12 years. It is incredibly difficult because you have so many audiences. The business community is an audience. The union is an audience. Um, um, the politicians are an audience. And so you have you, you have a number of audiences that you have to address. And and, uh, and and a lot of times, the audiences are not aligned the same. They're not on the same pages. And so while you are listening to one as they talk about A, you're listening to two as they talk about B, you're listening to three as they talk about C, and you have to try to get everybody on the same page. And it is very difficult in an urban context to make that happen. Uh, and, and and then you have, um, if, God forbid, if you don't have a board that's supported, uh, supportive, then you have a lot of challenges. I do have a board that uh, has been supportive and I had a board before that's been supportive. So those are the dynamics that you have to deal with in an urban context, DJ, that's totally different. And so when you talk about innovation, you're correct. I have to sit down with the local union to talk about that. I have to, I have no choices about it. I have to talk to my board about it. I have to talk to other entities because I have one, two, three, four unions that I have to address. Not one, not two, not three, but four unions I have to address when we talk about some innovation around custodians, around teachers and uh, teacher assistants. So um, I think it's a complex, much more complex environment than might exist in the county and other places. So, so how do you then, Doc, let's, let's switch back over to you interaction of the school districts and, and you. How do you get parents to buy into what you're trying to do? Because a lot of the parents are, are they, they become a part of that whole system themselves. You know, when we talk about poverty, when we talk about um, uh, drugs, when we talk about uh, uh, violence, a lot of times these folks are repetitive of repeating of what they're or accustomed to. How do you get the parents on your side to understand when the parents got to work, they don't have no babysitter, they don't have no help, no man around, no some guys some guys are raising their kids by themselves. How do you get them on the board with what you're trying to do and believe that you got their best interests and not not no personal agenda, which some superintendents in St. Louis Public Schools has had over the years? Well, I, I, I I think you have to start this way, DJ. This, this is how I feel. Yes, I want to get the parents engaged and get them involved and get them to buy in. Uh, that is a high priority for me. But at the end of the day, number one for me are the kids. And so I try to go directly to kids, especially at the middle and high school level, and really at the elementary level, to convince them how important the education is and try to motivate teachers to do the same thing um, and uh, principals as well. That's really hard because you're doing it from the bottom up. You're not doing it from the top down. You're doing it from the bottom up. Um, but it's really difficult because you just named all of the things that parents have to do. I'll give you a quick story of something that I, I heard today. Um, in some school districts, they started technology today. And parents got the technology and were calling up for help. And a parent was asking, well, so how do I get my kid logged on? They said, you have to do a capital S and then put your kid's number in it. And the parent says, how do I make a capital S on the computer? How do I do that? Because they have a phone and they're never interacting with, their iPod, with, mm -hmm. a, with a um, keyboard to know how to do that. Those are some of the kinds of challenges that you as a parent would not have. You wouldn't have that challenge or the, or the families that you involve yourself with a great deal wouldn't have that challenge either. So it is a monumental task. And I think you have to be honest with parents and try to be as uh, transparent as possible. And at the end of the day, DJ, and this is a fact. And you know this, you got to find the right principal to run the school. 
If you get the right person to run a school, then you don't have that issue. If you get the wrong person, and this is not slight on any principles, don't get me wrong, but you got to find the right leader in any environment to do that, to make sure that parents are connected. Because parents will rally around people who they believe have their best interests at home. No doubt. So, so Doc, let, let, let me go back to something um, we talked about. You, you said you're going to give Dells and iPads and all that stuff to these kids, right? Uh, there's some families, it was like, at one time I know it was like 20-some percent of the St. Louis public school kids was homeless, you know, and, and I work closely with my girl, right. Deidre Thomas Mary. Right. Right. I mean, I love Deidre Thomas Mary. Yep. She does a great job with, with, the, with that whole program, but you're gonna have about 20, 30% of the, the St. Louis public schools that kids are homeless. How do you teach that? How, what do you do to, how did that work? I mean, is that gonna be a generation of kids lost? What happens, Doc? They're homeless. DJ, you, uh, we have identified about, I think, uh, to your point, uh, Deidre provided to me about 400 kids that we think live in shelters that we are trying to get in contact with to give them the technology to pick them up to send them to the instructional learning centers. Uh, as you said, uh, Ms. Thomas Murray does a great job in terms of identifying kids. And so what we are working with her to do is to try to make sure they get the technology and also pick them up and get them into the school environment or find somewhere where they can go to get online and do that. Because I heard two or three days ago that if a family is working and they're in a homeless shelter, they have to, the, the family who's working, they can't leave the child at the shelter. The child has to be somewhere wow. during the day. Now, I'm not sure if that's true or not. That's what I heard. We're, we're tracking it down right now to see how true that is. But the truth of the matter is we have to find places to put these kids. And, we, and, and DJ, you are right. There are a group of kids that we're not going to be able to find. On March 13th, when we closed down um, for that period of time for, for the mm -hmm. COV virus, we were able to find every single kid with exception of 141 kids. 141 kids disappeared. We couldn't find them. We, couldn't, we went to homes, we knocked on doors, we checked with relatives, we emailed, we texted. Out of 2,100 kids, we could not find 141 kids. So the, the, our effort is to try to make sure that we do that again as we start the school year as well to try to find kids and families and get them connected to some kind of learning. But it is hard. And I believe, and you know this as well, we're not going to get every last one of them, but we're going right. to make every doggone effort to try to do so. But, but when, you, when you talk about giving them the, the, the ones that you can't find, yep. when you talk about giving them the, the computers and everything, that, what happens when that, that, that parent in that home sell that computer or somebody in a home take that computer and sell it. And I, I mean, these are realities of survival in in, in, in impoverished communities. I came from one, you know. So how do how do we reassure that those kids gonna be able to what happens if that happened? A computer get lost or somebody take their computer. I mean, what 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 do you have in place for those type of uh, dynamics that we know we know 1,000% it's going to happen. So we gave out about 12,000 pieces of equipment in March. Uh, we've gotten all of it back except for 2,200 pieces right now. Um, only a small, and we're still collecting it, so I want to be clear that we're not finished. Only a small number, and yeah. I'm not a handful, but um, I would say about anywhere between 10 and 15 were in a position that you just talked about lost, stolen, broken, uh, broken probably a little bit more than the other ones. But quite frankly, DJ, we just have not found a lot of families taking equipment and giving it away or trying to sell it. Um, we've had some stolen. I don't want to tell you that we haven't, but the numbers are not high numbers. It's not in the hundreds. It's not in the fifties. It's not in the sixties. It's anywhere from 10 to 20. So we are, the other piece is we can track them. So right now, if you have a piece of my equipment, and you got it on, I know exactly where it is. Gotcha. I, 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 could, I could ring a bell and, and, and tell you exactly what, what room it's in. Um, plus, we're working with the local authorities as well. So we're, we're going to do everything in our power to, to, to um, protect our investment because that investment has to be used multiple years for multiple kids. So uh, it, it is a challenge, but I'll be honest with you, it's not as big of a challenge as going into this we thought it would be. That's refreshing to know that. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. I mean, for you to say that, that is truly refreshing. And we, we, we winding down, Doc. We just got only a few more minutes. Yeah. But um, reassure me, Doc, 
because my concern is always the kid. Yep. I mean, I'm very critical on things and everybody and people, but my whole priority is making sure these kids are safe, have equitable opportunity, and get a chance. Doc, somebody gave me a chance. What would you say to, to the people who's watching, don't really know you, and, and, and how do you get past the, all the... Um, all the negative things they say about our kids in St. Louis public schools. I was one of those kids. What would you say to those those people about our kids, man? I think they're the greatest kids in the world, DJ. I'm not going to lie to you. I've, I worked in New Orleans. I worked in St. Louis. And I will say this, and I, and I really mean it, and I'm not saying um, our kids don't do anything wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not, 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 not that naive. I've not met a kid that I consider bad. I've never, I've never in my entire career... 12 years of Medicaid that, that I would say is bad. Are the kids that have some challenges or some kids that need some direction or some kids that have some knuckleheads? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They got some of those everywhere. But I have not met a bad kid. And in their heart, they're just looking for chances. Just like you needed a chance, these kids need a chance. And we have to find somebody who did the same thing for you to do for them. And so if that, DJ, you had an opportunity to go in two different directions. No if and buts about it. I know that for a fact. We've had this conversation, two different directions. But for somebody latching on to you and not letting you go that other direction, you wouldn't be on this telecast right now having this conversation with me. So I, I, I think what I would say to those people, DJ, is give our kids a chance. Just give them a chance. Find a way to open the door to give them a chance. And I guarantee if you give them a chance, they will surprise you. Not only will it surprise you, they will shock you, and they'll achieve more than you expect them to achieve. Well, I'm going to say this about you. Me and you, me and you are very good friends. I'm going to be very transparent. Dr. Adams is one of my close friends. We disagree a yep. lot of times. Yep. I mean, we have our disagreements that we go at with one another. Yep. And I'll go on my radio show. I'll come on here or whatever. And I will say critical things about the school system. Yep. But the thing that i got to give you credit for, you've never, ever stopped me or asked me not to do something for kids. Even though I may have a problem with some principals, teachers, and administrators, you have never stopped that movement of saying, hey, man, nah, this guy done had problems with people in our school district. I'm not going to allow him to help these kids. You have never did that, Doc. Explain why you have not ever stopped me from trying to help these kids. Okay, so we met when I first got here at a hotel next to the airport. Yes. You and I sat down. I remember the meeting like it was yesterday. Yes. And you said something to me. You said, Doc, uh, I don't know you that well. I heard about you, uh, but I care about these kids, and I'm gonna do everything in my power to support these kids. The first time you did something, that's what you did. Every single time since then, that's what you've done. And so I trusted you at your word. You were a man of integrity, and you told me I'm not gonna always agree with you. You told me at that point in time, and I'm gonna throw you under the bus if I have to, not in a negative way by putting stuff out there. I'm not gonna hide the truth because I care mm -hmm. about these kids. I, I knew, I, I know for a fact that the big fella's heart is big for kids. I know that. The adults, he can't stand like most of us can, but the kids, you would do anything for kids. I've seen you do it. I know you do it. And so that's why, DJ, it's real simple for me. You care about kids in a way that most people give lip service to. And so that's why I give you props 100%. And it started with that conversation at the airport 12 wow. years. I remember it like it was young. You forgot you it. I never you forget it. You got to help a memory, man. You talk all right. Hey, Doc, you went back on me on that one. <laughs> that, that was a hell of a memory. Boy, that's good. I, yeah. I remember that conversation. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to give you the last words. But I'm going to say this. I truly have enjoyed you as a superintendent. And, I, and, I, and I've dealt with a lot of them. And the reason why I do it is because, it's, first of all, man, anytime those kids priority, you get it done. I have not dealt with you not one time. And I mean, I get mad at your staff. I get mad at the teachers. I get mad at the principals. I get mad at assistant superintendents. I get pissed. I go on the radio. I ramp and I, I ram and I get pissed. But one thing I got to say about you, man, I got to say this. You have never let me down when I needed something for them kids. I mean, from whatever we need. I mean, you've always been there, man. And, and, I want to tell you, I appreciate that, man. I, I really do. I mean, I don't look, I ain't looking for no job from you. I mean, I don't need nothing from you. I just appreciate what you've done for me 
are allowing me to get my blessings that God has blessed me to get to these kids and you have allowed that. What I'm going to do, Doc, I'm going to give you as much time you want. I'm going to let you close out, and I want you to talk directly to the parents, the kids, and the community. I'm going to let you say what you need to say right now, Doc. So first of all, DJ, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on uh, tonight to have a few words. I I'll share with you what I said to my staff um, this morning and my welcome to them, and I'll say this to parents in this community. Um, this is a very difficult time in our community right now. You have a pandemic. You have um, the recession that's going on that's really eating up our families that can't work or, um, and losing their jobs. Um, we have the real challenge of the, this, this racial equity piece. Another African-American young man shot seven times in his back getting into his car. Um, and then we have the, the, the big mama call uh, a presidential election taking place all at the same time. You add all of that together and you know that families are stressed in ways that they've never been stressed before. Not in my lifetime, and I've been doing this for 40 years. Not in my lifetime. And so um, I, I say to my staff, I need to do three things. Number one, I need to take care of yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your kids. You can't take care of anybody. So I need to say to parents, take care of yourself. Do whatever you need to do to be mentally prepared and physically prepared to support your kid. Because if you get frustrated, you're gonna abuse them, you could do some things that's not right. Uh, you're not to treat them fairly, and they need to be treated fairly. That's number one. Number two, you have to uh, not be hard on yourself, not be hard on your kid, not be hard on the teachers and the, and the principals and everybody who's trying to work with you to make this happen because it's really difficult. And the last thing is be open and flexible. Things are going to change from day to day. Why? Because the data changes, information changes. So what I tell you right now on this telecast might change next week. Why? Because the numbers go up or something else happens or cases happen in one of our buildings that we have to shut down. So trust us to trust, um, trust us to support your kid. We're going to do the best we can do. If, we, if we're not good at doing that, please let us know. I'll give you my number. I put it out 100% of the time, 314-541-1165. If you're not getting the support you need, please call me. I have no problem answering my call day or night. DJ will tell you. If you text me anytime, I'll answer the call, 314-541-1165. Um, Lastly, I want to say to the big fella, to DJ, I love you, man. I love you not because um, of, of what you say. I love you because of what you do, because you really make it happen when you don't to yourself. You don't need nothing from nobody. You really don't. I know for a fact that you don't need to do this. You do this because you want to. And I, and I know you don't do it because you want accolades. You've been at the highest level of professional sports, and so you don't need anybody to stroke you. You, you don't need it. It's not something you need. You you're doing it because somebody helped you and somebody brought you along to get you out of the situation you were in to be the kind of man and father and husband you are and community member. And so I know that for a fact. So I just want to say I love you. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Keep doing what you're doing. And anytime you need me, if I can help you, you know I'm going to do it. Hey, Doc, I love you too, man. You've been a good friend of mine. But not only that, you've been a great superintendent, man. I truly appreciate our friendship. I value our friendship. I, I value your commitment that you've given to these kids, man. I know it's hard work, all the politics you got to deal with, all the other stuff you have to deal with. It's a, You're in a very difficult position. I don't want your job. <laughs> I don't want to do it. But I'm going to tell you something. I support you, man. I mean, we have our disagreements. But when it's all said and done, you and I have the same vision. That's to give young Black boys and Black girls an opportunity to live a life like you and I have been blessed and fortunate to live. Dr. Adams, my good friend. I love you, my man. Love you, man. Thank you so much. And you know what, Doc? We got to do this again anytime, buddy. All right. And let, hey, folks, I might be, Dr. Adams probably should be, I think you're joining me this Sunday on my show, man. I don't know. On the radio. So hopefully I can get you on until my radio audience can hear you also. Dr. Adams, thank you for being my friend, my man. And thank you for doing what you do. Thank you, DJ. Have a good evening. You too, Doc. Love you. Love you. That's my man, Dr. Adams, y'all. I'm telling you something. I love that dude, man. You talking who's uh who's done some work. I've been like I said, I've been very critical on them. I get uh I get disappointed sometimes with Dr. Adams and some of the things, some of the the the, the underlying the underlying folks are doing uh and not really uh, getting things done. But one thing I give him credit when I call him and I have a situation needs something for these kids, he he does it. He gets down. You know what I'm saying? And he gave his phone number, his cell phone number to you guys and girls. And you can call him. 
That's transparency. I don't know no other superintendent would have done that. Hey, thanks for looking at uh, watching the big fella. Catch me this come Sunday. And you know what? We'll be having a, uh, my podcast will be starting up too. But thank you guys very much for watching me tonight. Have any comments? Send me any comments. Whatever you can go and message me on my Facebook page. I will try my best to respond. I'm gonna do a better job of responding, folks. But thank you and stay locked and loaded because you never know who the big fella, big fella gonna have on off there with the big fella. Thank you guys and I will show see you next week and listen to me this coming Sunday. I 104.1 make the test. I'm out. See you later.